0: Welcome back to our Drone Wave Summit. My name is Kaylee Nix, and on our fireside chat today, we're taking drones out of the air and into the water. We've got president of Deep Trekker, Sam McDonald, here with us today to tell us a little bit about what her company is doing to explore the depths using that drone technology. Sam, thank you so much for joining us today, and I'm really, really excited to talk about this.
1: Thanks, Kaylee. It's great to be here. Thanks for thinking about drones under the water in addition to being in the air. To be fair, underwater drones were around before uh, aerial drones were even a thing. So remotely operated vehicles have been in the water since the 60s. But uh, we didn't really come into fame until the, the famous aerial drones made people aware that there were these robots
0: running all over the ground in the air and the water. Which is, it's crazy to think about, because when people talk about drone technology, they automatically think four spinning rotors and dropping packages off at your door. But Deep Trekker is really, really cool. I was watching your guys' video about what you do. Um, can you tell the audience a little bit about your inspiration behind Deep Trekker and how you got started?
1: Sure. It's uh, It's been a decade-long journey from, uh, from the beginning until now, a couple of extra years of development in the beginning. But uh, for me personally, growing up in the Great Lakes area of Ontario, and in particular around uh, Togamore, Ontario, where there's tons of of known shipwrecks and really thousands of unknown shipwrecks. I was always curious as to what was under the waves and and what discoveries could have happened, but just never got around to getting my scuba diving ticket until, you know, one day we were out on boats and and somebody ended up dropping a flashlight at night down. It was a great flashlight. It was one of those big mag lights and it was shining up at us from about 40 feet down and we couldn't get it. And um, I think it was me. I'm going to take credit for it anyway. Said, you know what, we really need a robot to go get that, you know, like a an underwater drone with an an arm on it, and I thought that I had you know this million dollar idea that I had invented something, as you do when it gets late in the evening. Um, but as it turns out, after doing some research, remotely operated vehicles, as they're known, or underwater remotely operated vehicles, have been around for a good long time. However, they were sort of in the realm of, you know, the experts. So they were complex and they were they were difficult to use. Sometimes you had to go to school to get a, a rove pilot's license or an ROV pilot's license. So I really wanted to make something that was really simple, out of the box, t- easy to use. And I thought it would be picked up by, by boaters, maybe by police search and rescue. Um, what I didn't envision is that there would be Um, legions of of ours, our Jeep Trekker drones deployed around the world in over 100 countries working in everything from space research to environmental research to um, oil and gas and energy, wind energy and solar. We're in fish farms. So we see our remotely operated vehicles and robots deployed in, in a wide variety of industries, which I didn't even know most of those existed at the beginning. So it's been an interesting journey that started with a dropped flashlight.
0: So you guys are really making this ROV technology accessible for the regular person who wants to do it, right? Tell me a little bit about the tech that you guys have developed and what the actual robot looks like, how you guys put it together, and the types of um, applications it can be used for in the real world.
1: Sure, so our flagship product, what we call the DTG2, it stood for Deep Trekker Generation 2, uh, up in the air about what generation was, maybe a college project or one of our early designs. But Generation 2 was the first one we sold, and if you can imagine, it's like a little gray basketball. It's about the size of a basketball, and it has thrusters and a camera on it, so that's in its most basic configuration. Um, We do have another larger version of it called the Revolution, and it's also got, uh, got six thrusters and a camera. On it. That's somebody who's calling me who wants to buy one. Um, But uh, they, they, all of the robots come with that camera, but we, You know, we wanted to make it simple no matter what other sensors were put onto the robot. So as soon as we made something that was really simple, chuck it in the water, turn it on with your gaming controller and and you're off to the races. And then somebody said, well, what if you can't see in the water? So we had to add sonar to it. And how do you know where you are under the water? Because you can't have GPS go through the water. So we started to add things like what they call ultra short baseline locating. It's kind of like GPS under the water. And then people wanted to have really... Uh, great stability and positioning. So we added things like IMUs, which um, is is that thing in your phone that lets it know if it's it's straight up or down. But a bunch of those on there, plus this really fancy sensor called a Doppler velocity log, which measures your speed along the bottom. So you get those three things that sort of act like GPS under the water. Then we wanted people, you know, people wanted to to pick stuff up. So we added grab our arms to it. People wanted to know if they could um, do non-destructive testing with it. So we did things like CP probes and um, thickness gauges on there. People wanted to know if they could detect hydrocarbons if there's been an oil spill. So we added those on to how much chlorophyll is in the water, how much dissolved oxygen. So we added all kinds of different technologies for a wide variety of industries but we always wanted it to be really simple and easy to use. So we had to build a system to integrate all of those sensors. So the user just still takes it out of the box and puts it in the water and does what he needs to do without a
0: lot of complexity from him. So we took care of all that complexity ourselves. Wow, that is so cool. It just like kind of drop and go and you can use it for a million different things. So specific to like the freight and logistics industry, the maritime shipping, do you guys have any clients or see any applications for your system in freight and logistics or maritime shipping?
1: So maritime shipping is one of our most important growth industries. So. For, you know, really in the very recent um, past, the, you know, the classification and insurance bodies have really started to look at at remotely operated vehicles on underwater drones for doing those underwater inspections. So they call them wild underwater inspection in lieu of dry docking. So instead of taking these enormous ships out of the water, can we do these inspections without A, taking them out and B, deploying divers and putting them in, into harm's way? Can we use these robots? Can we be sure that the the inspection of the ship was done in a most thorough manner. Uh, and now that the technology has increased so much, and like I said, those sensors are available, it's easier than ever now to use remotely operated vehicles to do that. The second part is, is we're looking at fuel economy. Fuel is the most expensive thing in, in the shipping industry, the marine shipping industry. And so you want those ships to slip nicely through the water and not um, not have a lot of, of parasitic drag on them and make sure that they are running smooth. And paint companies and coating companies are, you know, they're coming up with new technologies themselves to ensure that there isn't a lot of marine growth, but these coatings are also environmentally important. So they don't want to um, use, use coatings that are bad for the environment. But also still able to to resist that growth and make sure that there's no you know there's no growth and there's no um, things holding back that that ship running through the water for fuel economy. So they're leaning on the robots more than ever now, both the coatings companies themselves as well as the ship operators to ensure
0: that they are uh, in tip top shape for the shipping industry. That makes absolute perfect sense. Have you guys put any thought towards, you know, sometimes you hear stories of freight going overboard. Obviously that's like a worst case scenario, especially from a shipper standpoint. Have you guys put any thought or application into maybe deploying um, your ROV for when that freight does go overboard, whether that's locating it in port, obviously you couldn't do it in the middle of the ocean, but if it Falls off in port? Has that been done at all?
1: Yeah, it, it has for sure. So there's a couple of things that the the robots are used for in the port operations themselves, and certainly um, accidents or incidents are, are one of those. If something goes overboard, um, if there is some sort of damage to both the ship or the container, you can have what we call eyes in the water in 30 seconds. So you can get a situational awareness um, of what's happening below the waterline in in literally a minute and a half. You take this out of the box, you put it in. If it's something that is Know, a, a threat or a danger that is unknown. So if we take the, um, the oil ships that were in Bahrain, for example, that got hit by what is suspected to be um, an, an underwater AUV. Um, and damage was there. They couldn't deploy divers because there was an active threat in the water. They really didn't know what had happened, but they could have deployed an ROV and instantly known at least what they were up against. They may not have been able to see what they were hit by, but they certainly would be able to do a damage assessment in a really fast way to know, okay, is this something where we need to really hurry up and, and get divers in the water to repair that or bring the ship in into, uh, into the dry dock, or is this something that we can wait and assess the situation? And the same is true of a container. If a container goes over the side, is it damaged? What type of salvage team do we need to bring in? What are the other hazards that are in the water? And you can do that assessment with those ROVs straight away. And as for the treasures in the ocean, I'm just waiting until we get to ROVs that can go deep enough that I can go on my own personal treasure hunt for some of the
0: things that have fallen off. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff out there. And honestly, who knows how deep it could be down in those ocean trenches. So you mentioned a little bit about research being done um, on those environmental impacts, and we just wrapped up a net uh, zero carbon summit last week that was talking about the transition to kind of net neutrality and the shift away from fossil fuels and into kind of preserving um, that carbon neutrality for us. Talk to me a little bit about any research projects that you know that are going on with your ROV to kind of measure impacts of carbon on the ocean or anything like that for the changing ocean landscape and how they're playing into research uh, for climate change.
1: So we we work with a number of different um, universities and institutes around the world who have used ROVs from anything um, from environmental sensing. So like I mentioned, what is the oxygen saturation that's in the water? What are the other chemical constituents that are at the different trophic levels? So that's the different depths of the water. Um, So actually doing the water sampling themselves, Um, doing visual inspection of of the reefs and the the ecosystems that are under the water and managing that change Over time, so it's important not only to see what the situation is today, but is it changing, and how quickly is it changing? So, doing those routine surveys um, of those fragile ecosystems is super important. Other work that's been done have been on uh, artificial reefs, so bringing back you know the 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 important wildlife and and the different um, organisms that really help the ocean health. So, making sure that those structures are put in place, helping to do the um, the you know the pre construction. Uh, assessment as well as being an eyeball while they're building up those reefs and then measuring to see what types of wildlife are being attracted to those artificial reefs. And is it something where human intervention, which is always thought as a bad thing, can be really looked at as a, you know, as a positive thing for ocean health. So ROVs are involved in, in every, every part
0: of that aspect for sure. And you mentioned that you guys got your start up in the Great Lakes. And so obviously that's freshwater, non-ocean related use um do you guys see any deployment in maybe like inland ports along rivers anything like that yeah, I was I was shocked at
1: the first call that I got from uh, from Utah. So I'm a mountain biker, so I figured Utah is just all desert. But the reality is there's water everywhere. Now we call ourselves the Middle Ocean. We have some pretty big bodies of water, but really uh, ROVs are being used in ponds, are being used in in drinking water reservoirs, whether those are natural or man made. Uh, we do a lot of dam inspection. We're in, you know, we have done search and rescue in rivers. We've done. Um, work on locking systems, so locking through the rivers and infrastructure there. Um, We've been used to measure impacts um, on the, you know, on the, 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 the fisheries in the rivers around um, Ontario and in Canada and the U.S. Um, so really water, water everywhere um, is really the case. So it doesn't, you know, you might not think that uh, an oceanographic equipment company should be right smack in the middle of Ontario, but uh, there's, you know, I'm sitting actually can't see it, but I'm sitting right in front of a body of water that we use uh, to test our robots right here in, uh, in Brant County. So it's just a small um, about 10 acre lake. And we've done, you know, all manner of, of exploration of the lake and been able to even measure the changes in our own little backyard lake here. So they are a- available to be used anywhere, ocean, freshwater, flowing water, still water, um, you know, whether that's man-made or natural, ROVs are everywhere.
0: Truly, just like a myriad of uses, you can use them any which way. Um, so for maritime shipping, obviously ocean currents play a massive impact in the shipping industry, because if you're Fighting currents or if you're not sure what the water's doing then you lose on time you lose on fuel efficiency everything we were talking about before um is the reach of your robots large enough to kind of understand those ocean currents or is it more of just like a localized look at the space right by you
1: so there's there's some interplayed underwater robots and and i think there is some some confusion out in the marketplace well at least in uh you know, in folks that don't work with things on a regular basis. But there's two general types of underwater robots. There's what's called an AUV. It stands for autonomous underwater vehicle. And these are the things that, you know, you'll read about, oh, the, the Chinese stole the Americans' underwater drone. So that's what they're talking about is an, an autonomous underwater vehicle. And what those are sent out to do is really long surveys. And whether those are for defense or they're for, you um, infrastructure or for their environment and you program a pattern and they'll go out and do long missions and what they do is called mowing the lawn. You can imagine they're going like this over a certain area, and it can be, you know, miles, if not hundreds of miles wide. But you can't see what's happening in real time. So they'll be collecting data, whether that's video data or sensor data, and they'll return to the surface. And if they're sophisticated, send those over a satellite system back to the home base for analysis. Now, are these come in after that analysis is being done, and you see something, or you detect something that's a, you know, an anomaly, or that's changing over time? or maybe an indication that those ocean currents aren't working in the way that they used to. And that's when you deploy an ROV to do what we call ground truthing. So what was that strange thing that we saw or that strange bit of um, change in the ocean consistency that we, we don't quite understand? And you deploy an ROV at that point to check out what has happened. So the interplay
0: between the AUVs and the ROVs is very important. That makes a ton of sense, a ton of sense. Okay, so my last question, the Suez Canal crisis that happened back in March. Would one of your ROVs been helpful in dislodging that ship quicker than it happened?
1: (laughs) So I have a a great salver and friend of mine uh i won't mention his name because i haven't asked his permission but um but uh, i called him up and i said hey are you on the way to the suez and he's like yeah that they stopped me in egypt and i uh, i'm not going to be the one that's doing the job and uh, i said well if you end up getting deployed there did you bring equipment with me and he said I've, I've got my deep trigger revolution in tow so um i'm sure that they did deploy ROVs to see what what exactly had happened right that bulbous nose seemed to have gotten itself stuck but how far in was it how much you know, was it was it stuck on a piece of you know dislodged rebar or, or concrete versus just being stuck into the sand what was holding the ship how deep is it you know certainly we could get Uh, An awareness of what was actually happening, what type of equipment is going to be needed to get this thing unstuck. So, uh, I would be really surprised if ROVs weren't uh, deployed in that situation. And if they weren't, well, shame on them. They certainly could have been useful. ROVs have been used in in all kinds of marine disasters. Um, You know, we don't like it when they happen, but they're certainly interesting projects for ROVs um, used in all types of, of, you know, ships sinking completely or just becoming lodged. um, Salvage. And uh, and remediation is one of the most important things that we do with the remotely operated vehicles here at Deep Trekker as well.
0: Awesome, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us. I totally enjoyed learning about all of the applications of those underwater vehicles. And where can people go if they want to learn more about Deep Trekker or connect with you?
1: It's ww.deeptrekker, so like Star Trek, but Deep Trek, Deeptrekker.com.
0: Thank you so much again. And make sure that you're staying tuned and staying active in our live chat. And uh, stay more tuned for more Journeys.